glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would please. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to read a number of verses in rapid fire succession as quick as I can get to them. If you can't keep up, that's fine. I just want you to catch the theme in the law of the stranger, fatherless, and the widow and God's care for them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. Do not miss the weight of that verse. No one will pay God for favor. Never. No, he's, he's not going to take a price for reward. Verse 18. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 14.29. Deuteronomy 14, verse 29. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands which thou doest. Deuteronomy 24, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. Remember what Amalek did unto thee. I'm sorry, forgive me. That's Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 through 22. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. I won't read verses 19 through 22. He's talking about how they are to harvest their fields, to leave gleanings for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. Now Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 12 and 13. When thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase, the third year, which is the year of tithing, And thou hast given it unto the Levites, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. Then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, and also have given them unto the Levite, and unto the stranger, and to the fatherless, and to the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. Uh, Chapter 27, verse 19, and it will be done in Deuteronomy. Chapter 27, verse 19, the Bible says, Cursed be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, fatherless, and widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now Luke 17, if you would. Let me just say a couple more things about the verses in Deuteronomy. Again, as the Lord leads and helps, I'm going to give some accounts in the Bible of the Lord himself fulfilling what he commands in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes got in tremendous trouble with the Lord Jesus Christ because they devoured widows' houses. Remember that? Uh, Remember when Jesus gave the story of the good Samaritan? He used a stranger, someone who was neither Jew nor Gentile, he was a mixed breed, to be a rebuke to them for their their hard hearts. Uh, The Lord commended the, uh, the centurion, a Gentile, a stranger to Israel. He commended the Syrophoenician woman 
for their faith. And so we see a number of interactions with the Lord and strangers, people that were not Jewish, they were not of the nation of Israel. Uh, but then we see in this text in Luke 17, his care for a stranger. And we see it as well in John chapter 4 when he saved the woman at the well. But we'll also see him dealing with fatherless and widows and people that are in that position of vulnerability. And I believe this series of messages, I'll say this before we read Luke 17, is important to help us understand how the Lord thinks toward people and how, again, uh, we are to get near Him uh, so that we can rule out and, with God's help, conquer some of the lies that Satan tells us about what is necessary to, number one, have a relationship with the Lord and to have a close one with the Lord. Luke 17, beginning verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found at return to give glory to God, save this stranger. What's he calling? A stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Thank you. you. May be seated. We find the Lord Jesus fulfilling his own law to not forget the stranger. Here is a Levite, I mean a, a Samaritan, who was a stranger to Israel. And the Lord had commanded to not forget them, to be kind to them. And of course there were laws about grain and gleaning and all these things. But I think what's interesting about today's message, two weeks ago we saw a message on leprosy and how it's a type of sin. Last Sunday we saw Jesus Christ out of the book of Job as the daysman or the mediator between God and men. Today you have both of those messages in place. You have men that had leprosy, a picture and type of sin. You have Jesus Christ coming to impart to them the healing that only God could give as God's uh, advocate and man's advocate with God and God's mediator to men and dealing with these men who had leprosy in the same way he's able to deal with our sin. But again, I'll say, I hope today, many times, if, if we are dealt with in a certain way by men, we might just assume that God is like a man and he treats us the same. So, for instance, if you've ever been the child who is going to be the last person picked for a sports activity you might think that's how God picks people. If you don't have the ability to perform, used to. Um, when I was, uh, I, I, I was somewhat athletic, when it came to basketball, uh, you, you, you just might as well count me out. And I was the guy, the last guy picked because you don't play basketball in cowboy boots. That's all I knew to wear. Uh, why wear tennis shoes? What a waste of money and time when you can wear boots, right? Either cowboy boots or hunting boots, there was no use for other shoes in the world until I was a, a bit older, up to the age 12, 13, 14. That was it. Why would you wear anything else? So no, we don't, you don't need him playing basketball. He can't dribble. He can't do a layup. Literally, I could not do a layup until I was 16 years of age. I, I was not coordinated enough to do that. And so I was the last guy. Uh, some of you can relate to what I'm talking about. Some people in this world are the last thing that anybody would pick for anything. What what good are you to us? You know, do you know? Do you know? And I'm not going to preach a message on all the isms of the world. But when you start digging into communism and socialism, do you realize that's how they pick. You know what? If you don't have something to offer to society, you're worthless. 
You're no good. So we have to build an elite society by culling out those that aren't. I'm glad God doesn't pick that way. There are times that man looks at other men and says, how can I take advantage? And you know what? You know why God had to put so much in the Bible about how to treat widows? They're often at a disadvantage. They're emotionally damaged. They are financially damaged. They are vulnerable. And some, some wicked person is going to come around and try to do a land grab or some kind of thing. A, ch- a fatherless child is more vulnerable than any other child. And so uh, God says, I take special care. But the stranger as well, and here's the stranger, that the only reason he was able to hang around with nine other guys is because they all had leprosy. He is an outcast in a double way. He first is a Samaritan. Let me explain to you just a little bit about the Samaritans. They are what we would call today a half-breed. I, don't, I know that's not a good term, but it's what they, they were when, when Samaria was set up by uh, Ahab and that dynasty of wicked kings as the, the capital city of the northern nation of Israel. Uh, after that, they were captured by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians sent in Gentiles to inhabit that region. And when they did, they married the Jews. And so you had some that were part Jewish, they worshipped Jehovah God. Some that were Gentiles, they worshipped all kinds of false gods. There was intermarrying, which was against God's law. So the Samaritans' existence in the first place was the result of sin, as almost everything in the world is. Talking to my dad this weekend, we were talking about challenges and difficulties, just briefly. We were just having a conversation on the phone. And I said uh, something about something being a mess. He said... Devin, the whole world's a mess. Sin's made it that way. And it's true. It's just true. I thank God there's a Savior. <laughs> you know what? The light of the Lord Jesus Christ should be shining more brightly right now than it ever has before. Because we're in a dark world. And so the fact of the matter is here's a Samaritan. He's already, he doesn't fit anywhere. The Samaritan, and I'm not trying to preach some kind of a social message this morning, but hear me now. The Samaritan does not fit with the Jewish people. He's not a Jew. He doesn't fully fit with the Gentile people because he lives in the nation of Israel, generally speaking, geographically, but he's not allowed to worship at Jerusalem. His father said, no, you're actually supposed to worship over here in Samaria where Jeroboam built the golden calves. (laughs) So you have all this confusion, and the Samaritan doesn't know who he is, where he belongs. He's not accepted socially by anybody. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 9, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, meaning they didn't transact business with you. You talk about segregation. They had it. It was actively, legally put in place. You don't mess around with the Samaritans. They are an off-cast. They're impure. They're, they're, they're not the pure line. They're not of the seed of Abraham like we are. They made a big deal of their genealogy by their DNA. The Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist came along and chopped it all down. Said, you know what? God can make out of these stones children to Abraham. Don't you get conceited. I'm paraphrasing and think you are right with God because of who your forefather is. Amen. So here's the Samaritan. Where does he fit? Nowhere. He's an outcast. He's an off scouring of the earth. There's no place for you in the world or society. Then you get leprosy. What a mixed emotion. Well, at least now I got some friends. And so we find this man, he's a Samaritan. We wouldn't know he's a Samaritan at all if he didn't get things right with God. But that's how we're introduced, the fact that he was a stranger. And so then we're going to give you four things out of Luke 17 this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ and his dealings with this man. Before we do, and I give you the outline, I want to ask you this morning, if you were to gauge in your own heart and mind, and as honest as you can possibly be this morning with God helping you, 
to gauge how close are you to the Lord. Would, would you consider yourself someone who is, we use the word close, you know what I mean. You know, there are people we know and we, just, we know them at a distance. So what do you know about them? Well, they're married. Do you know their wife's name? No. Do you know the husband's name? No. But I know they have a wife or husband. Yeah. They have three or four kids. I don't know. Five or six. For us, we get, I don't know, they have a dozen kids. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, they have this. They drive a pickup. That's not somebody you're close to. Right? You get a little bit closer. Yeah, I work with that guy. I know him a little bit. We've, we've talked a few times. Really, closeness has to do with how much you know someone and how much they know you. That's what closeness is all about. So if you're to gauge your closeness, I didn't say know about. I can give you a lot of facts about a lot of historical figures. That doesn't mean I'm close. <laughs> all right? Knowledge of one another through interaction and a nearness through fellowship. If I said this morning, how close are you to the Lord? You could, you're gonna, there's going to be some gauge of are you in close fellowship or is the Lord kind of distant out there? May I say again, I believe with all my heart, you can be as close as you desire to be. What we're going to see this morning is the roadmap to being close to Christ. There were ten men that were healed. They represent people that have been saved. This room is full of people this morning, and we have some in here I, I would venture to say that have never been born again. If that's the case, you're not even in fellowship with God. You have no relationship with God until you put your trust in Jesus Christ. God's commanded you to trust his son for the forgiveness of your sins. And outside of that, he will not forgive your sins. So if you've not trusted Christ to forgive your sins yet today, you're a leper who needs him to cleanse you and save you and make you a new person. But many here today are cleansed lepers. We went through Sunday school and you you that were in here, you say, yes, I know what I was and I know what God did when I trusted him and I know what I am. May I say, ten people here today cleansed, but only one was close to the Savior. Ten received salvation, but only one got close in sanctification. And this morning, much of this message will be geared toward those of us who've received cleansing, uh, that we might learn from the leper what the Lord is worthy of from us and what it is that will draw us close to Him. How many of you this morning would say, you know what, it would do me a great deal of good and encouragement if the Lord himself were to commend me in my conscience for the way I'm responding to him. That'd do me a great deal of good. You know, we can have that. Do you realize we can have commendation rather than rebuke from our Savior? That's going to depend on how we respond to him. So again, let me give you these four things with a thought in mind. Number one, have you been cleansed? And if you have, how close are you? That would be number two. So first point I want you to see this morning in Luke 17, verses 11 and 12, is the Savior's path. When we come into this account, it's telling us where Jesus is going. He's on his way somewhere, and it's very interesting how it's worded. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, all right, went to Jerusalem. He's going to the holy city where the temple is at, where people went to worship God. As he, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We'll come to those verses in a minute. I want to focus on verses 11 and the first part of verse 12. When we consider the Savior's path, I don't want you to miss some things here this morning. The Bible says his destination was Jerusalem. Many times, especially during the summer, we have people coming through Bonner's Ferry, and you'll recognize they're a stranger. They don't belong here. You say, where are you from? Well, I'm from Washington, or I'm from southern Idaho, or I'm from fill in the blank. Well, where are you headed? Well, we're going to Glacier. And most people that are in Bonner's Ferry, unless you are living here, 
didn't come to be here. They came through here. <laughs> right? This is not a major destination. And I'm glad for that. It's becoming more of one. But the fact is, it's not where you're going. Oh, to Bonner's Ferry. I tell people I'm from Idaho, and they say, that's not too far from Kansas, is it? Like, no, that's Iowa. I'm not kidding. I've had it happen. Idaho. This is like way out in the northwest. Oh, I, I don't know where it's at. Oh, you people grow potatoes. Well, actually not where I live, but anyway, we'll move on. I'm just trying to tell you, we can relate to this guy. We should be able to. He's in a town. What's the name of his village? Any takers? There's a certain village. I don't know. Small enough, nobody knew the village. There's a, there's a theme in this message. You can be a nobody from nowhere and be extremely close to God. That's who this leper is. God does not look down and say, well, I would love to bless Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, but the population of your town is not big enough. It has nothing to do with it. I know of some preachers advocate, you just need to go to the big cities. Well, what about the small ones? <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that the Lord does not gauge our importance the way we do. Christ died for all men, every man, everywhere. And so here is where we're at. His path his destination is Jerusalem. He's not going to this village. He's going through this village, just through it, just passing through. Now, how many of you think the Lord did it on accident? He went anywhere on accident. The Bible says when he went down to Sychar in John chapter 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Most Jews would not travel this path. Most Jews would go around Samaria intentionally to avoid Samaritans. But the Lord says he went through Galilee, and Samaria passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he entered into a certain village. So at this point, we understand his destination was not the village. That's just where he went through. His direction was through Galilee and Samaria. He intentionally went where strangers were. He went to a place that most other Jewish people would not go, as he did in John 4. He enters into that city and then he has an encounter with ten men. So he's passing through. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss as far as spiritual application. There's many times in the Bible, the Bible says Jesus passed by. There's a man named Blind Bartimaeus. And as Jesus passed by that way, Bartimaeus cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on me. May I say this? It is not The Lord does not owe you and me a pass by us. He doesn't owe us that. He does not owe us an opportunity to have him working in a very real way where we can sense his presence and know we can respond. You say, what does this mean? If the Spirit of God, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is seated in heaven today, so on his behalf the Holy Spirit is here working today, and there happens to be a service where the Lord is passing through, I'm just using that figuratively, I understand he's always present, but you are aware that he's near. How many of you know that he's going to give you another chance like that? You have no promise of tomorrow. Take The Bible talks about Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Here are ten lepers. They hear that the Lord Jesus is coming through, and they realize the fact he's coming through our village has granted us an opportunity of a lifetime. Many people don't see the working of the Lord that way. There's a misperception that God owes you always another chance. How many of us know God is a God of second chances? And third... And fourth, that's called long-suffering, meaning he doesn't owe it. There's a young man, some of you know him, knew him, 32, 33 years old, 
something like that. Killed in our community last year by a train. That fast. How many times has that young man been given the gospel? I gave him the gospel. I know that. I know his co-workers gave him the gospel. He died in a moment, as far as we know, having not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember when he died, I thought, huh, that's tragic. To my knowledge, that young man is in hell today. And you think, Lord, what? the first thought is, could he not have another chance? And as it's going through my head, my thought is, look how many chances the Lord gave him. How many times did the Lord pass by that young man's way? How many witnesses did he put in his life to say, you need to be born again? You say, why are you saying this this morning? Trying to scare us? No, no, no. Reality should call us into sobriety. You and I are not given a promise of another opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in him to cleanse you of your sin, but right now while I'm speaking to you, the Spirit of God is saying, you know you need what that preacher's saying. You know you're a sinner. You know you're not right with God. You know you need your sins forgiven. And only Jesus Christ can do it, but you've not yet called on him and asked him to do that. Don't you think you got next Sunday? Man knoweth not what a day may bring forth. I know of 17-year-olds that have died on Sunday afternoons, drowned to death, not expecting to die before the next week. I could call his name to you right now. He wasn't counting on dying, but he did. And he wasn't right with God when he died. 24-year-olds who were murdered when they weren't expecting that, not right with God, having heard the gospel multiple times. I mentioned the young man earlier, hit by a train in a drunken stupor and not another chance to hear the gospel when he had had the opportunity. So what's this got to do with our message? Ten men that were lepers knew the one that could help them was in their village and they didn't think that they might have another chance. The Bible says, and Jesus walked on the water. He would have passed by the disciples, but they cried out. Don't you let the Lord pass you by if He's seeking to get you to cry out. If He's giving you an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm a sinner that needs saved. Do so today without delay. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. My dad, when he got saved, didn't understand these things. He first heard the gospel. It was very foreign to him. He was 15 years old. He heard it again, and he had it in his mind, I have to be in church on Sunday before I can get saved. He told himself, if I live till Sunday, I'm going to get saved. And God was kind enough with his ignorance to let him live till Sunday. And he got saved. God's kept him saved ever since like he does anybody else that puts their trust in him. See, what are you talking about? The Lord Jesus was simply passing through these men's village. But in passing through, remember, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what these men did? The encounter tells us they recognized who it was that was passing through. This morning, I, I, I hear people, they love to put labels on, on, we love putting labels on each other. And, and, and there's, a right, there's a right time to do that. Don't misunderstand. But how many of you know that some people won't get saved because, well, that was in a Baptist church, and I'm not, I'm not a Baptist kind of a thinking. Look, you put that out of your mind for a minute. Ask, is this the Word of God? Is this the Word of God? Is the Bible the Word of God? Well, that's what that preacher thought. No, we're reading the Bible this morning. It's the Word of God. And many times we like to label how God is dealing with us so we can dismiss God. I'll give you an example from Scripture. John the Baptist came and he had a weird diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. That's weird. If you eat locusts and wild honey, hey, you're right there with John the Baptist. Bless your heart. That's what he ate. And you know what they said about John? They said, he has a devil. John came preaching, you need to repent. The Savior's coming. He said, that man's got a devil. Look at what he eats. He doesn't eat and drink with us. He must have a devil. 
Jesus came along, he ate with publicans and sinners. You know what they said about him? He's a drunkard and a, and a, a, wine, a wine bibber and a glutton. Neither one was true. Did John the Baptist have a devil? No, and contrary to drunkards and what they want to think Jesus was, he was not a wine bibber, nor was he a glutton. Why did they label Jesus and why did they label John? So they didn't have to listen to what they preached. It was their way of dismissing the Word of God. And this morning, I would caution you, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart saying, you know you're filthy dirty with sin and you need a Savior, then you know that's God speaking to you. I can't look into the soul of your, in the midst of your heart, but God can. And I would urge you while He's working in your heart and while your heart is tender, you respond like these men did. So the Savior's path, His destination was Jerusalem. His direction was through this unnamed village. He entered in and encountered, the Bible says, verse 12, he was encountered by ten men, ten of them. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. So they're keeping their distance because they have a contagious disease. We Again, we looked in detail at leprosy a couple of weeks ago as a type and a picture of sin, how it rots away and eats away, and what begins small grows until it defiles us, it alienates us from others, and all those things that make leprosy a type of sin. But here's what it did, just like it does today. Sin often unifies people. You know, you know the kind of people drunkards hang around with? Oh, drunkards. That's the way it works. That's what a bar is. A bunch of sinners getting together. <laughs> Amen? That's what happens. So, Pastor, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little drink. Read your Bible already and get right with God. Well, that's kind of sarcastic. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Well, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? As I said, read your Bible, repent, get right with God. <gasps> Plain speech, true speech. Jesus didn't turn water into something he told people to stay away from. Have you ever heard of grape juice? Those two words are never in your Bible, always wine. Context tells you what, he, what he's dealing with. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. All you got to do is go to Proverbs 20, verse 1, and say, is that verse true or false? And if you start going, ah, mm, you've already been fooled. Amen? Is this a message about alcohol? It's a message about leprosy and what defiles our lives, deceit, drunkenness, immorality, all these things are just like leprosy. They eat us up. You know what we need? We need cleaned up. We need cleaned up by the Lord. And here's some men that understood. No one had to say to these men, you guys got a problem. No, no, they knew they had a problem. That's what brought them together. They were mutually defiled. Now, it's physical, but it's a picture of the spiritual. And so then let's consider the Savior's prospects. That's verses 12 and 13. Number one, they are defiled with leprosy. You're not supposed to get close to these people. They, they might rub off on you. The Lord Jesus, though, had experience in dealing with lepers. He knew how, instead of them changing him into something defiled, he knew how to turn them into something clean. You ask me, ask, 1 Corinthians 15:33. be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. You take, a, uh, you take a young person fresh out of high school, and he starts, he's never used drugs in his life, he's never committed fornication, but all of a sudden, he starts hanging around with five guys, that's all they do. You tell me what's going to happen. Who's going to change who? We know the answer to that. They're going to ruin him and defile him. And that's the pattern we're used to seeing. But Christ Jesus cannot be defiled. He is the sinless Son of God. 
And when he gets a hold of your life, you're not going to change him to be a sinner. He'll change you into a saint. And what happens is the prospects Jesus has, they're not lovely prospects. These are men that are, have oozing sores and wounds and all kinds of petri, uh, pet, just filth, all of them, maybe wrapped up, standing afar off saying, unclean, unclean. Stay away. We're, we're, we're bad news for you and your family. You know what the Lord did? He didn't say, you're not my kind of prospects. You nine, Yes, you're Jewish, but you're lepers. I need people that can serve me now. And lepers are kind of, they're a little bit limited in what they can do. So, sorry, I'm going to go find me some good candidates. That we then? Oh, by the way, number 10, I know you're a Samaritan. Even if you didn't have leprosy, we Jews have no dealings with you. You people keep your distance. Here's why the Lord was willing to have something to do with them. They wanted for themselves the same thing he wanted for them. Please don't miss what I just said to you. They wanted for themselves the same thing he wanted for them. Christ, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to demonstrate the fact that he's the son of God. They knew who he was, knew what he could do. They didn't say, Lord, please make the society accept us as we are. And we'll say that again. They didn't say, Lord, please teach the society to think differently about lepers. Please teach people to let us pass our leprosy off onto them. The tolerance that's being preached today in our society is not love. What it is is saying, we're defiled and we want everybody else to be defiled with us so we all feel good about each other. Don't you feel better if you're defiled if somebody else is defiled with you? That's not wanting what God wants. God does not want us to pass defilement off. He wants to cleanse us and change us into something that is pleasing to Him. And the reason they got Jesus' ear is they wanted the same thing He wanted. He wanted them clean. They wanted to be clean. They wanted to see Him demonstrate His mighty power and transform their lives. And that's what they wanted. I preach this to the incarcerated, and I'll preach it here this morning. Many times people say, I want free of the consequences of my uncleanness, but I'll be happy to keep my uncleanness. So, Lord, I I don't want to be ostracized by society. I don't want people to look at me with a a funny eye. I don't want people coming and keeping their distance as though they're afraid I'm going to do something bad to them. I want people to treat me like nothing's wrong with me. But you got leprosy. (laughs) But I want people to act like I don't have leprosy. How many of you know that it's nice to be trusted by other people? But sin has broken down trust between people. And what we say is, well, I want to be a liar and a deceiver and immoral, and then I want people to treat me like I'm holy. Well, it doesn't happen that way. God has to change us. You know what? These ten men, his prospects, they were defiled with leprosy. You may be sitting here this morning and say, yeah, I get the analogy between leprosy and sin. My conscience resonates with that. I am not a clean person. My thoughts aren't clean. My desires aren't clean. My words aren't clean. My actions aren't clean. I'm dirty. I'll tell you something, God doesn't want you to stay that way. The Bible says, Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. In the name of the Spirit, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6 11. But Jesus' prospects, they were defiled with leprosy. You might say today, Christ is certainly not interested in me. My life is a mess. I have a history you don't want to know about. I've got, I've got things on my mind that I've done. I am, I am a rotten mess. So were the lepers. 
No one wants anything to do with a person like me. And you say, there may not be anybody like that in this room this morning. There's more people like that than you think than just able to put a good cover on. These are defiled with leprosy. And the other thing we see is they were distant from him. He comes into town, verse 12, and as he entered into a certain village, there met, met him ten men that were lepers which stood, what was their distance? Afar off. How close are they to God? No, as Isaiah 59 says, let me turn there, uh, just like leprosy separated them from Jesus, sin separates us from God. God is not a sinner, and what keeps us at bay from him is sin in our lives. We know he's not pleased with it. We know that he'll have nothing to do with it. He's holy, and we are not. And these men stood afar off. The Bible says, Isaiah 59, 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear, but praise God, God sent somebody into the world that said, you know what? You know know what Jesus is? He's the hand of God to save sinners. His hand is not incapable of saving. His ear is heavy that it can, it's not heavy that it cannot hear. And Christ came into the world telling men, God is willing to save you if you're willing to let him. I'm going to tell you something. The battle of winning men to Christ is not intellectual. The pastors say this all the time because it needs to be said all the time. It's not intellectual, it's spiritual meaning it's a battle in the will. If you're not saved this morning having heard the gospel, it's not because you cannot be, it's because you will not be. And if you will be saved, God will save you. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Salvation is so simple that Jesus said, suffer the little children, come unto me. What's it take to come to Christ? Trust. Trust. Some say, well, I've been hurt. Christ is the same. He's trustworthy. These ten men decided to do something. We're going to trust him. And so they were defiled with leprosy, yet they were distant from him. See what they have to do? They have to call on the name of the Lord. They were discerning who was in their midst. How did they know who Jesus was? How do you know who he is? Do you think they saw a halo over his head? No, there were no halos. So, well, you know, he was unique looking, and beard, and long hair. No, he wasn't. That wasn't what he looked like either. The Bible says he had no former comeliness that we should desire him. He's with a bunch of fishermen. He was a carpenter. You know what his hands look like? A lot of you guys' hands. Hard-working hands. Jesus didn't walk in with a glow about him. You know how these men knew who he was? They'd heard. That is Jesus, the one who's been raising the dead, the same one that's been healing blinded eyes, the same one that has power over demons. That's him. Which one? Which one? The one right there in the front. That one? Yeah, just call his name. He's the son of David. He'll he'll know you call him by his Bible name. You call on him by faith. He'll answer you. They knew him the same way we know him, by the word of God, and by the word of a witness of somebody else. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as the Lord comes into town, these men are discerning. This is not just another man. This is the son of God passing through. And so they, they entreat him. We find uh, they were desirous of his mercy. The Bible says in verse uh, 13, and they lifted up their voices because they're distant. They got to get some volume. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, that's the God-given name. Jesus meaning savior of the people. Jesus Master, that's recognizing his authority. And then what are they asking for? Lord, we've been the best lepers you could be. No one has followed the laws of leprosy better than we. If any ten lepers deserved a miracle, it would be us ten. We have stayed separate from the synagogues. 
We have said unclean every time. Is that what they did? No, that would be asking for a reward. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Please don't give us what we deserve. Give us what your kindness will give us. Mercy is undeserved kindness. That's grace. They are so so much like each other. Mercy and grace are like faith and repentance, like two sides of the same coin. Jesus, Master, have mercy. How many of you have heard preaching on grace in the last year? You probably have. If you turn your radio on, you hear the word grace, if it's Christian radio. How often are we hearing about mercy? Not very popular these days. It doesn't stoke your pride. You can even talk about grace and still be a little bit stoked in pride or dismissive of sin. But mercy? Grace says God's given me what I do not deserve. Mercy said God is withholding from me what I do deserve. We deserve for you to walk right on by and never hear us again. We're from a village that's a no-name village. We know you're on, you, we were not your destination. At least that's what they thought. You're just passing through, but Lord, you're here, and we're here, and we have a need, and you have the answer. Would you please have mercy on us? Ten of them at a time. Normally when Jesus is dealing with the lepers one-on-one, a blind man one-on-one, but ten lepers. Surely somebody would have said, man, I know he can heal one. Can he do ten at a time? I don't know, probably I would think Andrew or Peter, somebody said something like that. And so as they move on through, they cry out, have mercy on us. The Bible says, verse 14, now we see the Savior's performance. We've seen his path, his prospects, and here's his performance. In verse 14, and when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. That was what the law required, if you were going to be cleansed. And it came to pass that, the next three words are vitally important. As they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine? You're walking along, you know you've got a leper sore that big on the side of your hand, and you've got one on your face that's showing up in the bottom of your eye vision. Like, oh, man, I feel horrible. And they say, oh, it's Jesus. Master, have mercy on us. He said, go to the priest and show yourselves for your cleansing. And then they responded to his commandment. How? They obeyed, meaning they trusted him. Their obedience demonstrated faith. And as they went, meaning as they put faith in his word, look, it's gone. And all ten of them on their way, and one of them says, I can't go anywhere until I go back. I never thought of this until this morning. I was meditating on this. If this man had gone to the priest, what do you think might have happened? He's a Samaritan. Now, you're not welcome here. I don't know where you're going to go, but you can't come here. But I'm cleansed of my leper. You're, you're a stranger. Now, I don't think that was the intent of the law. The strangers were supposed to be received if they were acting in accordance with the law. But in Jesus' day, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They, were, they had gotten so filled with pride, they had gone beyond God's law, were operating outside of God's law and hardness of heart. Had this man gone to a Jewish priest, he would have sent him away. So where can I go but... To the Lord. Huh? Isn't that what the old song says? Where can I go? But to the Lord. And here's a man whose heart is so full of gratitude, no other person would give him the time of day. He's a no-name man from a no-name place, no heritage whatsoever, no background. He has no experience with the things of God. He's outcast and offcast from the people of God, from the worship of God. But God Himself visited him on that day. God himself with his word changed him from a filthy, defiled man into something clean in a moment of time. 
And here's what happens. We see the Lord's perception. He sees their need. He gives them a commandment. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And then his power is in his word. Jesus never even touched these men. He just said, go show yourself. And as they believed, they were healed. And so then we find finally the Savior's praise in verses 15 through 19. Here's where there's a lot of application for us. Uh, let's ask this this morning. Of this 10, let's put a percentage on it. How many of these men, after their cleansing, lived gratefully? Of the There's 10 men. So percentage, how many of the men that were literally cleansed, all of them were cleansed equally? Which one of these men got a greater favor? None. Did they not all receive the same thing? Were they not all lepers on their way to death? And in a moment of time, on faith in Jesus Christ, were they not all cleansed equally? Then what percentage of them lived gratefully? Some mathematician, help me out. Only 10%. Now, I would like to say that's not a mirror of much of Christianity. But it is. Often you'll hear a statement like this. 10% of a church does 90% of the work. And sadly, that's true in many a place, so much that it, it gets stated and people are like, yeah. Well, why is that? I mean, you think only 10% of churches are saved? No. No more than I think only 10% of these guys got saved. But the rest of them immediately had lives to get back to. They didn't have time to mess with Christ. They got their favor. They can go on. They got their mercy. They're no longer dying of leprosy. What else do they need? Someone would say, well, if you live that way, you never got saved. This, this miracle would prove that to be different. You, you, you can live as a saved person ungratefully. You can live your life with Christ in the rearview mirror. 90% of them did. Is it true? Let me ask you this. When they didn't come back and give thanks, Jesus said, okay, you're not going to give me thanks, you get your leprosy back. No. He's good whether we are or not. He's the same. But here's what happened though. There's a man. I, I don't know what preoccupied the minds of these men? Well, they were just focused on obedience. They're going to the priest. Well, maybe. I don't know if they ever made it to the priest or not. I know Jesus rebuked them in the presence of this man for not coming back. So where's the nine? Weren't there ten of you that got cleansed? I wonder if he says this morning, of that 45, 50 people in church this morning, haven't 40 of you been saved by my grace? Where's the 35? Only five of you are living whole heart. Only five of you have communed with me this morning before coming to church. Only five of you are taking the time to come and spend personal time with me to tell me how grateful you are for what I did for you. Where's the 35? I don't know the number. I know this. This is, I'll just go ahead and say what I think needs said. Not every person in this room is living wholeheartedly for Christ. It ain't happening. Say, Pastor, you're not the judge. You're right. But I can't ignore what I see. And you don't answer to me, and I don't answer to you. you I understand that. But we'd be fooling ourselves to say that, would we not? Do you think everybody's lost? No. I think we've received equal benefit. But here's what happened. One of them had a greater appreciation for what he received. Do you know why? Because the Lord Jesus is no respecter of persons. Because the Lord Jesus said, you know what, you're a stranger. And I care about strangers. You've come and you have no one to welcome you here, but I'm willing to do for you what men won't do for you. I'm willing to hear you. I'm willing to answer your prayer. 
and I'm willing to let you get as close to me as you like. Couldn't Jesus have said, hey, far enough, buddy. He's like, wait, I don't have leprosy anymore, but you're a Samaritan. But he didn't. No, what he did is he responded to the man's faith, and he responded to the man's humility, and he responded to the man's worship. Verses 15 verse, uh, through 19. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, so he perceived the Lord had done it. When he saw that he was healed, turned back and does what? Hold on, hold on. With a what kind of voice? Loud voice glorified God. You know what we get loud about? You know what we get voluminous about? The things we really care about. You watch people, and I hate the analogy. I'm not saying we should ever act in church like they act in the stadium on Saturday at a football game. But you know why people go to stadiums on Saturday and make fools themselves? Because they care about what's going on. You know why we often don't lift our voice in praise to God? Because it's not in there. Nine of them didn't lift their voices. Nine of them never said, oh, praise God. I'm going to tell you something. When you can perceive what Christ has done for you, witnessing is not something mechanical. It's something that just has to be done. I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell somebody what Christ has done for me. And if no, nobody else, I've got to tell him. I want to ask you something. And I just want you to think on this. When was the last time you personally, and if it was this morning, that's wonderful. Say, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you had to go through so that my sins are forgiven. Thank you so much. Can I say this? If it wasn't in the last 24 hours, we're thieves. Pastor, we're not giving what we owe. How many of you really believe God saved you when you put your trust in his son? How many of you really believe you'd go to hell if it weren't for Christ? I mean, you really believe his nail-pierced hands and his feet and his suffering on Calvary's cross is what stands between you and the wrath of God, then why do we go 24 hours without telling him thank you? Shame on us. Why can we talk about politics and outdoors and hobbies and work and money? And it's, read this if you get a chance. You probably don't want to, but anyway, here it is. You with me? ungrateful. And it's not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm saying nine out of ten, they went on with life. They had families, they had jobs that they now are, you know what, here's what I'm saying. They were more excited about getting back to life than they were about to the one who gave them life. And this morning we get more excited about the goods God hands out often than the God who gives them. And here's one man that's recorded in Scripture and I'm convinced he's here for our reproof and rebuke and exhortation, that we would say, what do I do? Well, if he saves you, go to him. <laughs> and we'll have a few minutes. We could actually demonstrate our gratitude, bowing a knee and saying, Lord, thank you for saving me. We could do that. Here's a man, I, I think he'd gotten beyond being embarrassed by what people thought about him. I, I'm just thinking, after you've had leprosy and you've been a Samaritan, I'm guessing he had gotten beyond being embarrassed about well, will people think I'm making a, a, an option? What do people think if I go and tell Jesus, thank you? What if I go and he doesn't receive me? I am a Samaritan. No, no, no. He's so overwhelmed by the miracle that Christ did for him. The Bible says that he went to Christ 
And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. He was not ashamed. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. How many of you think that Paul was lying when he wrote Romans 1.16? Or can you read the book of Acts and say, Nope, he wasn't ashamed. You see, Paul never got over what God did for Saul of Tarsus. Paul couldn't get over the fact that he knew that he had persecuted Jesus Christ personally. The Lord took it personally. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And yet God pardoned him and made him a preacher of all things. And Saul, Paul, just couldn't get over what Christ had done for him. So he lived the rest of his life in gratitude. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. And so here's this man. He cries out with a loud voice. I wonder if the other nine said, is that John? Did you, who is that hollering? What's he saying? Now, he's loud. Oh, he glorifies God with a loud voice. Uh, we move on down to verse 16. And fell down on his face at his feet, doing what? Giving him thanks. Now, here's where it throws in, and he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. As though that's a byline. That's Oh, by the way, he was a Samaritan, but it's important because in what Jesus says. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? I'm gonna, I know I'm a little long this morning, but I'm going to mind the Lord. You would think second, third, and fourth generation Christians ought to be the most grateful people on planet earth. You would have thought the Jewish people, when Jesus came, would have been the most grateful people on earth that God had fulfilled his promise of a Messiah, the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenant fulfilled. Wouldn't you think? You know who some of those sold out Christians are today? First generation Christians. They are so aware of what they were when God saved them, they just can't get over it. Some of the rest of us, we kind of take it for granted because we're so familiar with the things of God. Those nine Jews got cleansed just like that one Samaritan. You remember Luke 7 when Jesus gave the analogy to the Pharisee? He said, uh, the woman came in and anointed Jesus' feet. And the Lord gave the analogy of one man got forgiven 500 and another got forgiven like 100 pence. Which one loves the most, do you think? He said, well, the one who's forgiven most. Right. Same here. I want to tell you something. When the world says, we have no place for you, you're an outcast. There's no place for you in this world. you, you, You don't run fast. You don't have a lot of money. You don't look nice. You're not intelligent. You're not athletic. You don't, you're not even good at sinning. Just go. God says, I'll take you. World doesn't want you. The Lord says, but I'll take you. You take me? Lord, I'm a, I'm a leper. No, now you're not. I save you. Lord, I'm a Samaritan. Not in me, you're not. You're just mine. We'll see tonight in Galatians, there's not Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. You're either in Christ or you're out. <laughs> and Christ says, I'll take you. I'm going to tell you something. The Lord doesn't look at man in the way man looks at man. The Lord tasted death for every man. You know what it tells me? That I'm as precious to Jesus Christ as the President of the United States. The only thing is, I can be closer if I want to be. And you're as precious to your children all through this room. And part of this message is for you children. The world looks at a child, 
church may not be interested in child. I mean, what can a child contribute to a church? Noise? Time? Energy? Ah, but the Lord says, suffer little children to come unto me. He said, the world may see you as trouble, as difficult, but I, I, you are precious. In my... The disciples said, oh, don't bother Jesus with little children. And they got in trouble for that. You suffer little children, come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning what I'm trying to say to you is here's a, a Samaritan leper from no-name village in the middle of no-name Samaria. And the Lord Jesus, he was as close to Christ as anybody you'll find in the New Testament. At his feet, worshiping. And the Bible says, uh, we go back to verse uh, 17, and Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They're not found. So where are the nine Jews that are not found to return to give, uh, that return to give glory to God? Save this stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Only one out of ten of them had a personal conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Only one. All ten of them got the cleansing. Can we agree? But only one got to hear words of consolation, words that gave him confidence. You know what? The others might have said, the old, the old boy might have got back with the other nine and said, how you guys doing since you met Jesus? Well, we're doing good. We're just hoping it won't come back. He said, it ain't coming back. Well, how do you know so much? You think you're smarter than everybody else because you're a Samaritan? No, no. He told me. We didn't tell us. Never told me anything like that. He told me my faith had made me whole. When did he tell you that? When I was on my face at his feet, thanking him for what he did. When was the last time you genuinely didn't just say praise God or sing a song where somebody else is praising God, but you got on your face before the one who died for you and said, Lord, thank you. I was a leper. Thank you so much. An outcast fit for nobody or anything. But thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me. Thank you for the opportunity to have faith by coming my way. Amen? Let me tell you something this morning. If you're not living gratefully, you're missing some of the words of the Master. So I'm saved. Wonderful. But don't just go your way. Go back to the one who saved you and spend time at his feet. You may be here this morning and you say, I can't thank him for saving me because I haven't let him do it yet. Can I encourage you? If he's speaking to your heart today, you respond to him now. So what do I do? Well, you can come. Somebody help you if you need help. Or you can call on the Lord right where you are. If he's speaking to you where you are, I think you can speak to him where you are. Amen? But respond in faith. This morning, maybe God's pricked our hearts. Say, so you know what? It's possible there's somebody in this room. You know Christ has cleansed you. You cannot remember the last time you thanked him for doing it. When would be a good time to do that? Now, but be sure nobody knows you're doing it. Now, that's no good, is it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Nick, I encourage you, go out and tell somebody else today what he's done for you. He cleansed you of being a leper and you're not a leper anymore. Somebody ought to know who did it for you. Mm-hmm.